Sydney Environment Institute, in partnership with Sydney Ideas and the Geocoastal Research Group, present Coral Bleaching in the Great Barrier Reef, a panel discussion post-screening of the documentary Chasing Coral, with Chair Ana Villa Consejo and panellists Jodie Webster, Maria Byrne, Ian McCalman and Ariana Newman. Okay, I hope you have enjoyed the movie. It's a bit doom and gloom, but uh, I think it's a very good exercise uh, for raising awareness about the, the scales of coral bleaching. And I also hope that it has moved you to, to think about some great questions that you can ask, ask a bit later to our panel of experts. Okay, I'm going to introduce our panel of experts now. I'm going to start from this first member here on the left, is Associate Professor Jody Webster. His research focuses on carbonate cementology and stratigraphy, climate change and tectonics of coral reefs. He co-leads with me the Geocoastal Research Group at the School of Geosciences, and uh, he investigates coral reef geomorphology in multiple time and spatial scales. Thank you, Jody. The next person is Professor Maria Byrne. She is an expert in the biology and ecology of marine invertebrates with a current focus on the impacts of climate change. She is no longer the director of a One Tree Island research station, but a One Tree Island research station wouldn't be there without her. She has been instrumental in the sustainable development of the research station. The next person is um, Professor Ian McCallman. He's a research professor of history at the University of Sydney and the co-director of the Sydney Environment Institute. He's, he has written many books, the latest of which is called The Reef, A Passionate History from Captain Cook to Climate Change, and charts the shifting status of the Great Barrier Reef. On the far right over there is Ariana Newman, who is an impact campaigner at Greenpeace Australia Pacific. Uh, connecting Greenpeace campaigns with philanthropists, artists, cultural influencers, and leaders in social enterprise. Ariana witnessed coral bleaching firsthand in Lizard Island at the beginning of this year. Okay, so now I am going to let the panel take over for about 10 minutes each. <coughs> I would like them to comment about uh, general perceptions from the movie, but also with I would like them to answer two questions. So the first one is, what is the part of the film that resonated more with you in terms of uh, raising awareness? And the second question is, what is your opinion on the solutions for the reef? What, what can we do? Uh, aside from what is portrayed in the movie, also what are your own experiences and uh, what do you think that we can do for the reef? So I will uh, let anyone start. start. Is anyone king? I'll start. Okay, so yeah. we're going in order. Uh, Associate Professor Jody Webster. Right, thank you. So I guess it's appropriate that uh, I do get to start because I spend a lot of my time working on the Great Barrier Reef, the dead Great Barrier Reef, uh, the reef that uh, has grown and died over hundreds of thousands of years. <clears throat> so my wife actually calls me the uh, dead coral reef guy. Um, and in fact, uh, I have perhaps more fossil corals, dead corals, um, in our lab across the road uh, than perhaps anywhere in the southern hemisphere. But um, to the, the, I guess, two main questions, um, it was obviously a very highly evocative uh, film. Uh, I had not seen it until today, uh, 
uh, I had thought to watch it with my family ahead of time to get sort of primed, but uh, one of my students said, no, don't do that, have a fresh perspective, and I'm glad I actually did. So um, I think some of the, the things that really struck a chord with me were this idea of um, out of sight, out of mind, um, and I guess this, you know, there's a, a couple of things to that. A lot of uh, what we see in the ocean and respect to reefs is, is indeed that. We, we don't see it in the way that we see terrestrial environments. Um, and in particularly some of the research that, that I've been a part of and, and collaborated with, uh, we spend a lot of time mapping the seafloor um, uh, and deeper parts of the Great Barrier Reef. Much of what we've known... Uh, I guess in the last, only really in the last 10 years as we've used techniques like multi-beam sonar to really reveal what the Great Barrier Reef looks like in these deeper environments. Um, and of course the, the more abstract part of that is out of sight, out of mind, um, then we don't have to worry about it uh, as these horrible bleaching events now back to back have been occurring. So uh, that's uh, one part of it. The other part of it, which I think was quite interesting, uh, was this question of, of scale and, and space and time. Um, in many, throughout the um, uh, film, they, we showed uh, very, very you know, high uh, temporal scale deaths of individual corals, and the scientists spoke about what's happening to the reef over the scales of um, the, uh, our human lifetime and this idea that the Great Barrier Reef may be gone in our own lifetimes. Um, and from my perspective, being a geologist, um, and this, I think, was potentially missing from, from the, the documentary, uh, is this longer-term perspective, which I think can add to this, this story or this narrative or the, the grave nature of what we're seeing. Um, as I said, the Great Barrier Reef, as best as we know in its place, is probably less than half a million years old. Um, and in fact, the Great Barrier Reef is actually, you know, if we'd followed natural course, would be probably dying in a few thousand years as, as uh, sea levels fell and we returned to um, uh, the next ice age. But of course, what we may be doing with respect to carbon emissions and other environmental changes is, is are we actually changing that natural cycle? And so the, the story of the Great Barrier Reef has actually been one of... of um, incredible resilience over uh, scales of hundreds of thousands of years, turn on and turn off, um, turn on and turn off. And, and as best as we can determine, it's come back constituted in the same way, um, the same sorts of, at least of what we can see from um, the fossil record. But I guess what's really, really different about what we're seeing now over the, let's say, the last 50 years or last 200 years is the, uh, the rate uh, and uh, uh, certainly the rate of change in terms of sea surface temperature, the rate of change of uh, CO2 emissions and its effects on um, uh, uh, ocean acidification and so on. Um, and I think that's really, really concerning is what we're seeing right now um, uh, in terms of those rates of change uh, in some of these environmental uh, threats is, is unprecedented. And I'll give you an example. Um, as best as we can determine, looking at the fossil record from the period of the Great Barrier Reef growing 20,000 years ago during the last ice age, and we know that now based on work that we've, we've done by drilling into the reef, um, uh, over that sort of 
20,000 year period as it, as it, it migrated and, and followed sea level rise, um, uh, the temperature changed probably two to three degrees of warming, but over a period of 10,000 years. And so I guess that's a really interesting point of these, these um, rates of change. Um, uh, that indeed may be unprecedented, at least with respect to the sort of geologic history. Um, so I get that. I guess that resonated. In terms of what we can do, I'll, I'll finish quickly. Um, I think uh, cutting emissions, uh, moving to renewables, these are all things, again, that we need to uh, obviously do. At first and foremost, there's there's a whole range of, let's say, bio or geoengineering solutions, which weren't really talked about uh, in the in the documentary. Um, <clears throat> I'm, you know, I think we should look at these these aspects, but I guess I'm I'm you know, a little uncertain about whether they can be implemented on the the, the scales that that we need to actually um, uh, deal with. And so I think it's f first and foremost changing. Um, uh, uh, human behaviour and the way we do um, uh, business and moving to renewables um, as soon as possible. Uh, and I guess that comes to the last point, which is, and I'm completely and utterly ill-equipped to really uh, uh, explain how to do this. I'm the dead coral reef guy. I dig holes in the ground and, re and, and think about what that means for past evolution and what it means for the future is actually uh, um, getting that message out um, and... I get, Convincing you guys probably is not the issue. It's more convincing my 70-year-old parents who um, vote, let's just say, in conservative government. So how do we change their, their minds? Um, so I'll just kind of leave it there. Thanks, Jody. Well, one of the things that resonated um, very strongly with me was the absolute challenge to connect people in the sea. As Jody says, it's very hard to... To, to, for people to see it. You stand on your beach, you look at the water, and it's flat. You're looking at flat to the horizon. You're not looking at what's underneath. And so that's the number one challenge, is that for people to take ownership of sea country in almost an indigenous way, a spirituality with indigenous Australians, we have, they have a long history with the sea, and they've taken care of their sea country. We have a lot, of, lot to learn from indigenous Australians, and I think we could connect a lot more with indigenous Australians in this, in this aspect. So we need to connect people with the sea. We need to uh, raise awareness. And uh, the thing that really does resonate with me is I really do have a difficulty with the doom and gloom scenario. It's quite clear that a whole big 24% of the Great Barrier Reef died. If we have repeated bleaching events, we know that the, some reefs take 10 to 20 years to recover. If we have repeat uh, bleaching events, that's, it's going to compound the mortality we've already seen. If we're lucky enough to not have repeated bleaching events, there may be some recovery. We don't want to have... You see, if we do just doom and gloom, people say, oh, well, nothing we can do about it. Let's just move on and enjoy life as we have it and not do a darn thing about it. But the thing about it is, if we can stay close to COP21, if we can actually get close to the Paris Agreement and keep it below a dangerous, dangerous warming of two degrees, there will be scope for coral reefs to recover. But that is it. We are running out of time. Yeah. We have uh, the power within ourselves now 
right now to work towards reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Whatever the CO2 is in the atmosphere, we can't get back. That's uh, warming the ocean. But we have a chance that maybe, not in our lifetime, but in 100 years, the corals may stabilize, but we, it's going to be the action that we do today for our grandchildren, not necessarily for us. So the, and the other thing is that is I feel that with life being so tough for young people, and life is fast, and you've got your emails and your Facebook and your Twitter this and Twitter that, and you're so busy looking at your iPhones, I'm just, I mean, I do too, but um, that you, it's, you've got to see beyond the iPhone. You've got to see the big picture. And you've also got to kick some uh, members of parliament up the backside, let them know you vote, let them know the environment is important to you, and as a collective, uh, the worst thing uh, 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 federal government fears is students collectively. Now, the trouble is life is so hard now. Students, everybody's running hard to pay rent, to pay hex, running between classes. Maybe I can get another shift at work. With all that really heavy life things happening, no one has time for the indulgence of the environment anymore. So we're going back to the Franklin. You know, people went down there, they were on the television, they saved the Franklin. They went down to the Southeast Forest, they changed them. And mind you, they were, you know, uh, they were the, the hippies and people uh, complained that they were a bit radical, but they saved the Southeast Forest. Now the trouble is the television isn't going to be underwater while you're chaining yourself to a reef. It's going to be a bit more difficult. But what I'm saying along the same... Um, uh, genre of proactiveness, I think this generation is going to have to try and be a bit more proactive than the other are. I am so frustrated. I have worked in Canberra since 2000, since the rezoning of the Barrier Reef in, in uh, 2004. And uh, it's quite clear, unless the politicians have got a damn big stick, they won't do a darn thing. All during the Howard years, the climate change policy was written by the coal industry. We lost 20 uh, precious years. We can't lose the next 20. So uh, that's, so that's what resonated with me. With respect to the, what was portrayed on the film, well, it was meant for Netflix, it was meant for entertainment, it was meant to have this message. So probably the doom and gloom worked for Hollywood type of thing. Um, so, it, I mean, these guys are great, they're very passionate, they've done a great job. But I also feel that uh, a little bit of more balance in the film would have been good because all that footage from New Caledonia, if you looked on the side, that was the reef edge, that was the drop-off. All that purple, yellow, green, fluorescent coral in the, in the, on, on its way to death was all on the coral reef flat, which was cooking, no doubt. So why did the Southern Barrier Reef not bleach? It didn't say uh, Hurricane Winton yet. That they were saying, oh, it... The Southern Barrier Reef did not bleach. We still have beautiful coral on the Barrier Reef. So this is the message we have to get out as well, is that uh, let's get a bit of balance. There are places where there's, there are still corals. I mean, I was just in Europe, and they're saying there's a whole lot of people going to the Barrier Reef, but, maybe not, but now they've lost their time because their last chance to see it is gone. So this last chance tourism isn't helping either. It's all doom and gloom. So I think the only thing I would say about the film is that I would have liked to have had a little better balance and, and uh, maybe have given us some ideas of what they thought was the path forward to reverse things, but they didn't say very much. 
I won't talk about the 50 Reefs campaign because they didn't talk about it. Maybe you can later. Okay. Uh, uh, thanks very much, Maria. I, um, <coughs> the day before yesterday, Killian there and I uh, dived on the Ellison Reef, which is the reef that started the first reef war, as I call it, the reef when the reef was threatened in, from 1965 until the, until the institution of the marine park in 1975, when the reef was threatened by uh, a massive move by governments and oil companies to mine it for oil and gas, and would you believe it, fertiliser and cement. And Ellison was the one that was in effect, selected first to, to, be, to be used as fertiliser uh, on uh, sugar plantations. And we dived on it yesterday. Uh, it was proved with a, a young student, some, a student of zoology did a survey back then in 65 and helped to save that reef. He was there yesterday. He's not uh, as young student anymore, but he was diving as was Charlie Verin. Um, looking at the reef, much of which, no, some of which is still alive, even after that time. So in some ways we came out of, the, it came out of seeing, and we saw a lot of dead coral, and we saw a lot of very depressing things, but it's true, what Maria said. We also saw live coral, and we also saw fish. So we, we came away not in despair, um, and it's true that that movie, I think, has a much larger perspective. And I do think that it achieved, well, it achieves in viewers what needs to be achieved in the first instance, and that is to get us to understand and empathise with the reef. Um, in some ways, it was a kind of uh, terrific combination of science, the humanities, arts and technology, all those areas in the university that uh, ha hardly ever talk to each other. But in that movie are brought together. Um, they tell a story in the way that we try to talk about the power of stories. They show the beauty of the reef, not simply its economic value. Um, that is important. But they showed the beauty of the reef, why you cannot look at it without feeling utterly moved. And, you know, they asked, um, um, that they asked people, how do you feel after you've seen a reef, even one that's not perfect? And you say, most likely, that I hear, it was a life-changing experience. It's such an extraordinary, complex, beautiful and living thing. And I think they did get that across. And they did, of course, it was done by Hollywood techniques in a way. They had Zach, an innocent, who's shown, you know, an enthusiastic nerd who's a wonderful character to take us through this. And they showed the, the original filmmaker pretending complete innocence of how corals work so that a really expert and very clever scientist can explain to us how they work. And, you know, and, and keep us interested. It never became boring. So, uh, you know, full marks to it for, for, you know, making me cry, which it did. And I think probably made a few of you f tearful. And that's not a bad thing. If 
if it goes hand in hand, not with despair, not with fatalism, well, it's completely buggered, let's give up, but let's do something. Exactly what Maria was saying. One of the things that is in our hands to do is to do something about shaking up the politicians. I mean, why was Australia not on that list? You know, why, was Australia, why is Australia the country with this sublime reef? It's as big as Japan. It's as big as Britain and Ireland put together. This is a country, and it's, we are its custodians. The Aboriginal people were its custodians. They didn't hurt it. And we're allowing our governments to get away with the story that uh, you, either you can't do anything or, you know, these are general forces, etc., etc. We might as well sell coal and, you know, finish, finish it off, <laughs> bring on the mass extinction, because the politician who's happy is perfectly happy as long as he gets back into the parliament in two years or half, you know, whenever it is. And so my message is only to reiterate what the two scientific colleagues have said before, is that the best thing we can do is actually political action. It's to get, is to stop this business of global warming. Uh, you know, stop it in its tracks. Or else, you know, we're going to be looked back if there's anybody who survives in the long term, and they will say, we, every one of us here, sat and watched a massive extinction of the earth, which we could have stopped. That's a hard act to follow. <laughs> um, it's great to be here representing Greenpeace, one of the many organisations which has been advocating for the health of the reef for many years. Um, sadly, we are still continuing with that battle and our challenge in many ways is to take the knowledge that the research community gives to us and bring it to people who maybe don't live by the reef but love it just as much and it belongs to them just as much um, and mobilise them to create real change and um, as Ian touched on that is a huge challenge for our country. We still have politicians today who refuse to accept the link between climate change and the deteriorating health of the reef, which is quite amazing given the global consensus on this issue. So it's disappointing, yes, but there's nothing quite like a uh, big, scary, mean target to uh, get people excited and taking action. For me, uh, one of the main things that resonated um, in this film was definitely that this is a national shame that this is happening. It's an emergency. Uh, we can't afford even to be sitting here and talking about it. I wish there was more that we could do in this very instant, um, but the fact that you're all here is a start. <laughs> and I think it's, <laughs> it's definitely emotional, and I think... From my, my own experience being on Lizard Island, I could sympathise uh, with what the young diver Zach was feeling. There's something about going out there and seeing it for yourself that really uh, is moving, and you take it away with you, and it never leaves you. So um, I would really encourage all of you to go and see it, even though it does need help, 
because it will still move you and it's still beautiful and magical and if anything it will just empower you to take um, action and tell your friends. Um, I know that someone is going to give a little shout out about uh, one of the main ways I think you can take action um, and that is definitely joining a local group in, at Greenpeace and other organisations. There's a massive campaign to stop the Carmichael Mine, the Stop Adani campaign. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. Um, in July, the government was spending something like 55 times more money on fossil fuel subsidies than it was on the Reef 2050 plan. So um, we need everyone behind this movement. And if you have any questions about how to get involved, then I'm obviously happy to answer those. But I know that uh, you all have access to the most amazing resources here at the uni and through the Sydney Environment Institute. So um, keep doing what you're doing.